Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. So in just a few moments, we are going to break open your word, God. And we are going to be able to listen to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of these words, we ask that you would inspire the saying and then the listening of these words as well. Those who heard them for the first time were impacted. Impacted so deeply that they wanted to hang on to these words and then preserve them. And for 2,000 years, people have preserved these words, and perhaps they have been preserved specifically for us. We want to hear them and to hear them well, so we ask that you would open our eyes to see the things that you want us to see, that you would open our ears to the things that you would want us to hear, so that we can be your people in the world. This is what we hope for. This is what we pray, and we do so in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Well, as we turn to the lectionary text for today, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and we will be reading from verses 2 through 9. And our friends in the back have Bibles if you would like to read from one, um, so wave them down and they'll hand you a Bible. And I would like to invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Peter, James, and John were blind, not really blind, but they did not have the eyes to see what was happening right in front of them. So backing up a little for some context, one of the main themes throughout the gospel of Mark is discipleship. And the gospel tries to answer this question, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What will it cost me? 
And by the 16th verse of the first chapter, Jesus is already calling people to follow him. And then only four verses later, Peter, James, and John, the three disciples who are on the mountaintop with Jesus, have left everything to follow Jesus. They've left their jobs, their friends, their families, everything they're familiar with to follow Jesus. And we see why shortly after. As Jesus begins his ministry, we see Jesus healing the sick and the lame and the blind. We see Jesus reimagine and fulfill the law of Moses. And we see Jesus give purpose and meaning back to the day of Sabbath and back to the practice of fasting. We see Jesus calm a storm that was surely going to cast him and his disciples overboard. Then we see Jesus feed two separate groups of 4,000 and 5,000 men, plus the women and children in both groups. And as if that's not enough, Jesus decides to walk on water. So it's obvious why the disciples continued to follow Jesus, right? There was just something special about him. Like this guy could take them places. They had never seen anything like this before. Then one day Jesus asks the disciples, so who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at him and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. Now some translations say that Peter said, you are the liberating king, you are the Christ, you are the one that we have been waiting for. Because for years, the Israelites had waited for the Christ, the one that would come and save them from oppression, from tyranny, from poverty, the one that would unveil the kingdom of God to all creation. Now, as people do, the disciples, they had their own understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to do and what the Messiah was supposed to be. They had their own agendas. And it's possible they expected the Messiah to establish God's reign in the world through force. Perhaps they expected the Messiah to ride into town with guns ablazing and take control back from the Roman Empire. But one thing we can be for sure of is they were not prepared for what Jesus was going to say next. Jesus goes on to tell them, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. He'll be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, Peter can't believe what he's hearing because this, this doesn't make any sense. How could the Messiah, the one who's supposed to save them, save them if he was dead? Now, shortly after this, we meet back up with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus on top of the mountaintop. As Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, arguably his three favorite disciples, up the mountain, his image was suddenly changed. He was transformed. He was transfigured. He became whiter than white. His clothes were dazzling white. And the kingdom of God in this moment was crashing into their reality. The kingdom of God was being unveiled. The transfiguration was what I'll call today a thin spot. A thin spot is where heaven and earth meet, where the distance between heaven and earth is so thin that you feel like you can see to the other side. So then, Moses and Elijah decide to join the party. These two giants, these pillars of their faith, were suddenly among them. The disciples had grown up hearing stories of these two faithful men of God. Like, they probably had their rookie cards. These guys were legends. So as Jesus, Moses, and Elijah 
are having a casual sit-down conversation over what I can only assume is a nice cup of coffee, perhaps roasted by the local roastery Hebrews. (laughs) Peter decides to open up his big mouth. He interrupts the conversation. And it's like he couldn't help himself. We've all been there, right? Peter blurts out his idea. He goes, whoa, whoa, hey, it's really good that we're here. Um, So... Let me do something for us. We're going to make three shrines, three memorials, um, because that's, that's what we need to do. Uh, but the disciples are acting out of fear. They're acting out of confusion. They're acting out of their own desires. Because at the time, it was a cultural ritual for when a deity would make itself known to you, you would make some sort of memorial or shrine wherever that God made itself known to you. And so they act in confusion and, and fear and ultimately in their own desire. So up to this point in the gospel, these disciples have witnessed these thin spots. And every miracle, every healing, every teaching of Jesus, God's kingdom was being unveiled. It became visible. These thin spots are where heaven and earth meet. And this moment on the mountain was no different. Jesus, in all his glory, sat with Elijah and Moses as if to affirm Peter's earlier statement, Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And then a cloud covers the mountain, and God speaks to the disciples, this is my dearly beloved son, listen to him. Now, unfortunately, the disciples don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear what any of this means. Despite having witnessed these thin spots throughout their time with Jesus, these moments where God's kingdom was being revealed, they just don't get it. Even though Peter knows who Jesus is, the Messiah, Peter doesn't understand the mission or the path that Jesus is, that Jesus is on. Instead of continuing to trust Jesus and follow where Jesus was going to take them, they opt to take control of the situation. They choose to come up with their own plan instead of following Jesus. And in what was perhaps the thinnest of thin spots the disciples had ever seen, where the kingdom of God was crashing into their midst and a voice from heaven pleading to them, listen to him, they were blinded by their own dreams and they were blinded by their own desires. The disciples did not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. And this week, I've been wondering how I might have responded on top of the mountain. And I don't know that I would have responded much different than the disciples did. Would I, would we have had the eyes to see what was happening? Would the transfigured Jesus have opened my eyes? Would it have opened our eyes to a new way of living? Would it have changed our desires? Now, like the disciples, we too can be blinded by our own desires, our own agendas, our own dreams. And at times, we do not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. We get caught up in these other narratives, these other stories. We live into other baptisms, uh, like consumerism and nationalism and selfism. And we live in these other ways of life, and we try and force fit Jesus into our story rather than surrendering to God and finding ourselves caught up in God's story of redemption and God's story of reconciliation. These other narratives, these other stories, these ways of life, they capture our attention, our dreams, our desires, our imaginations without us even knowing. And these stories, they blind us from being able to see where God is leading us 
and these stories can clog our ears so we don't hear where God is calling us. The disciple Peter was caught up in a different story. Peter was on this path of upward mobility. He wanted to gain new responsibilities, to have more, to gain honor, to climb that societal totem pole. He was so caught up in the narrative of success and the narrative of the culture that he couldn't understand what Jesus was doing. He didn't understand Jesus' way of life. And like Peter, I don't either some days. You know, we say together every week, we want to live the way of Jesus. And I think by God's grace, we are becoming a people, we are becoming a church that does just that. But I must confess that I am caught up in other stories, and I think we are caught up in other stories. These stories, they shape my desires and my agenda and my dreams, and I bring my desires and my agenda and my dreams to this table with me every week. As I desire to live the way of Jesus, I also desire to be really comfortable. I want to be comfortable financially. I want to be comfortable spiritually. I want to be comfortable relationally. And in my dreams and desires, I look out for number one. What is best for me? How will this benefit me? How will this affect me? And I bring every selfish fiber within me to this table when I ask, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What is it going to cost me? These narratives that compete with Jesus' narrative, they cloud our ability to see and hear where God is leading us. Now, when God manifests God's self, when God makes God's self known, when we encounter these thin spots where heaven and earth meet, it's always an invitation to change the very direction of our lives. These thin spots are an invitation to reorient our lives. These thin spots... They capture us into God's stories. They shape our desires. Thin spots are supposed to change everything. Unless we don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear it. Because we can become so caught up in these cultural narratives that we can't see God making God's self known to us. We can't hear what God is teaching us and we can't follow where God is leading us. And so... We confess that we are poor and we are hungry and we are thirsty for what we cannot provide ourselves because we cannot open our own eyes. We cannot unclog our deaf ears and we desperately need God's grace. And by God's grace, Jesus opens the eyes of the disciples. He unclogs their deaf ears. Now up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus time and time again has unveiled the kingdom of God. Jesus has made known the good and redemptive work of God. Jesus has made known his identity to the disciples and has made explicit the type of life that Jesus will live and the type of life those who follow Jesus will live. And still, up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples do not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear where Jesus was leading them. Even after they see Jesus in all his glory on top of this mountain, chatting it up with the likes of Elijah and Moses, they are still blind. Even after God made God's self known in the clouds, the disciples couldn't hear what Jesus was teaching them. They could only see and they could only hear through the lens and through the headphones of their own desires and their own agendas. So, what does Jesus do? 
Jesus reimagines their understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to do. Jesus takes their dreams and their agendas, their imaginations, and completely flips them on their head. Instead of the Messiah coming to conquer the oppressive Romans by use of force, Jesus conquers by emptying himself, by making himself a servant to all. Instead of gaining honor and climbing up the societal totem pole like Peter wanted to do, Jesus makes himself lowly. Jesus enters into the areas of brokenness, of shame, of sin, and failure, and he redeems it all. Now, as Jesus heads down the mountain, he's heading towards Jerusalem, where he will eventually be betrayed and killed. Jesus, as they go towards Jerusalem, is slowly peeling back the scales from the disciples' eyes so that they can see God revealing God's self all around them. Despite the disciples having their own agenda, their own dreams and desires for what the Messiah was supposed to do, Jesus embodies a narrative of meekness, lowliness, compassion, and service. Jesus embodies a narrative that says whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus unveils the kingdom of God coming in power, coming to redeem and restore all that is broken and all that feels shame. Jesus transforms the disciples' dreams, their desires, their agendas by continuing to reveal the kingdom of God. And despite their blindness, despite their deafness, despite their inability to get it. Jesus never gives up on them. Jesus draws them into the story that will open their eyes to see and their ears to hear God's dreams and God's desires. And by God's grace, Jesus does the same for us. Jesus draws us into God's story of redemption and reconciliation Jesus transforms our dreams and our desires and our agendas and our imaginations by pulling back the curtain and revealing the kingdom of God. Now, from our perspective on this side of the resurrection, as we read of the disciples' inability to understand what Jesus was doing and where Jesus was leading them, we just want to scream, you idiots, why can't you get it? Why do you not understand But even on this side of the resurrection, we can still be blind. Because the narratives of our culture, they blind us from seeing God reveal God's self. And ultimately, these narratives shape what we desire. But God continues to reveal God's self to us. Because these thin spots where heaven and earth meet, they're all around us. When you find out that you're pregnant after years of barrenness, thin spot. When you find a community that cares for you like a family after years of feeling alone, thin spot. When you find a job that feels more like a calling, more like a vocation than it does work, thin spot. When you experience the overwhelming presence of God after you've mostly given up on faith, thin spot. When you have your house remodeled by your parish group, thin spot. This sanctuary of worship every week is a thin spot. And as we gather, we ask, what might God want us to see? What might God want us to hear? 
because thin spots are always an invitation to reorient our lives. They're always an invitation to have our dreams and desires transformed to God's dreams and God's desires. In the last year, I shared with you all my own thin spot experience. And Katie and I were on a mission trip to North Carolina. We were serving at one of our really good friends' churches. And uh, we were just really, um, really taken back by the work that they were doing. And so throughout the week, we felt like God was slowly peeling back the scales of our eyes and slowly unclogging our ears to see perhaps what God had for us next. And almost every night, we would stay up and ask one another, what, would it, what does it look like to be a good neighbor? Um, who is our neighbor? Um, what could this look like in our context in OKC? Um, we knew God was doing something. We knew God was calling us to something new, but we just couldn't pinpoint it. And we were just blind enough and deaf enough not to figure it out. So the day we get back from the trip, Pastor Chris calls me, and we had met earlier in the summer, and he says, hey, man, we're, we're planning a church in Midtown, and um, I was wondering if you and Katie would want to be a part of it. So I was like, well, tell me a little bit about it. And so Chris starts talking, well, we want to be good and useful neighbors. We want to be a people of a place. We want to be a community of hope that's invested in its geographical community. And it was like thin spot. We could see, we could hear God was reorienting, was transforming our lives, and now we're here, a part of this body of believers, and that is really astonishing. Through the season of Epiphany, we have been astonished by the ways God has revealed God's self to us. This season where God's revelation in Jesus not only calls us to reorient our lives and our dreams and our desires, but also empowers and equips us to walk the way of Jesus. And here on Transfiguration Sunday, we look back and we acknowledge that God has, and God is, and God will continue to reveal God's self to us. And as we look ahead to the season of Lent, which starts on Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, The season of Lent, which invites us to journey towards the cross. It invites us to walk the way of Jesus. It invites us to reorient our lives. The season of Lent, it beckons us to look at the cross and to look at ourselves and confess the difference. To confess that on our own, our dreams and our desires will shape the way that we follow Jesus. On our own, we cannot see the reorienting thin spots that are all around us. But we are not on our own. Jesus walked the way of the cross for us. Jesus emptied himself and gave his life for us to show how far love will go to make love's point. And in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to live the way of Jesus. The scales on our eyes are being peeled back so that we can see the reorienting, the life-changing thin spots all around us. And as we are able to see our desires and dreams and imaginations are transformed by God. One of these thin spots where God reveals God's self to us is here at the table. So each week, we receive these elements to enter into God's story. 
We receive these elements so that our dreams and desires might be transformed. We receive these elements so that we might be equipped to walk the way of Jesus. So anyone who is blind and wants to see, anyone who is deaf and wants to hear, anyone whose heart is available to the love of God, whose life is open to the direction of God, who recognizes their need for grace is welcome at this table. At dinner on the night before Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save, he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat it, remember me. Then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Whenever you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So anyone who is open to this grace is invited to this table. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. And when you come, come down our center aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which only comes from God. Approach one of these servers, listen to what they have to say, dip the bread into the cup, and be thankful. And if for any reason you cannot make it, down our aisle, wave your hand, and Justin will come and serve you. So I invite you to come when you are ready.